0: Young business leaders, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Evan Iwataki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 121. Uh, today is a special day. Today, we are coming to you uh, through a digital connection to Eau Claire, Wisconsin, which is officially my first Wisconsin uh, broadcast, So <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, I always say that I'm excited, and I, I think I'm discounting the word excited. I'm going to have to come up with a new word for it. But. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Today, we have Lee Carraher, and she is um, the CEO of Double Forte PR and Social Media, a national agency headquartered currently in San Francisco, an acclaimed communications strategist. Lee is known for her practical solutions to big problems. Her company works with some of the top lifestyle, digital life, technology, and wine brands in the country. Lee's is the author of Millennial and Management, based on her experience with epically failing and then succeeding at retaining millennials in her business. Her second book, The Boomerang Principle, Inspiring Lifetime Loyalty from Employees, provides a practical guide for building positive, high-performing workplaces. Lee, hello. Welcome to the podcast. If you don't mind, say hello to the audience and then tell them a little bit more
1: about yourself. Hello, Evan. Hello, audience. I'm so happy to be here. I'm happy to be your first Wisconsin uh, broadcast. Yes. I just got here, so I'm you know under the wire. I'm making that true for you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and my company will always be uh, headquartered in San Francisco, even if I am moving to Wisconsin, just FYI. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well,
0: uh, tell everybody a little bit more about yourself because I, I drastically uh, cut your bio short. Sure. It, oh my I gosh. feel like it always comes a little bit better coming from the actual guest.
1: Absolutely. So I am, my name's Lee like, Kerahur, and I was born this way. Um, <laughs> I started my company, Double Forte, about 17 years ago after 9-11 um, in Amazing. 2002 after having a long career in public relations and communications and agencies and in uh, large in-house uh, at Sega of America, the video game company where I was vice president. Sega. Exactly. Um, and I started a, uh, two agencies for a large multinational um, um, media company. And then after 9-11 decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And that um, I thought I would actually go use my glue gun for a long time, but I drove my husband crazy. So I had to go back to work. I am the breadwinner. My husband is the (laughs) chief home officer and the chief bacon officer in Mm. our family. And I started my company um, really out of a need. Uh, My mom had gotten sick. Um, I thought I'd go back to a, a job like I'd had at Sega. My mom got sick, was given three months to live, decided I probably shouldn't go look at those two jobs that I was almost getting offered because I would ha- either get fired or have to not take them. So, I started my company um, really out of the need to bring home the bacon and um, be able to be wherever I needed to be, um so I could take care of my help, take care of my mom and be with my young children at the time. Uh, one of whom has special needs, which has uh, you know, made a lot of impact in our lives. Mm. Um, that was 17 years ago. The company's still going strong. Um, and now we are headquartered in San Francisco, like you said, and we have offices in New York, Los Angeles, Sacramento, Boston, and now Oakland, Wisconsin. And Yay. we work with companies that we like and uh, areas that we're interested in, because I think that uh, you should be interested in things. The purpose of PR is to bridge um, you know, <clears throat> the public's opinion with capitalism, basically. And how we do that at Double 4K is to make sure we're working with really good companies with good intentions, making great decisions and big impacts on the world. Um, and with people that we want to be with, because, you know, it's too, life is too short, no matter how old you are, for jerks. Um, <laughs> and then I wrote my first book um, about five years ago now, um, after... Uh, when I started the company, we only hired people who had 10 years of experience. By definition, they were at least 32. Um, and in 20, 2009, when, after the big, you know, just imp- implosion of the um, economy, decided we should hire people with um, right out of college, which I didn't really think anything of because the last two companies I'd worked at, my last two jobs, I had over 700 people each in them, and most of them were under 30. However, um, epically failure, epic failure is really what happened. I had 100% failure in retention um, of the people that I hired who were under 30. And uh, that had never happened to me in my life. And I decided that it couldn't be ish, it couldn't be um, them. It had to be me or it had to be my company. Um, and I started looking at everything about millennials there was to read. And it was all freaking negative. And it just made no sense to me. 80 million people cannot all be entitled. It's statistically impossible. Um, and they all can't be terrible people. And they all can't be lazy. And they all, I mean, it was, just, everything was bad. Um, so I decided not to pay attention to anything I was reading that was negative and go do my own research. And out of that research figured out how to keep people in my company. At the same time, the same things were happening for my clients. And I became an advisor to them, always had been an advisor on communications internally. But more and more my clients asked me to come help them with their quote unquote millennial problem, which I did. Um, and then they said, you know, you surely write a book. And so I did. Um, and that yeah. book is Millennials and Management, The Essential Guide to Making It Work at Work. I hate the title because it assumes that millennials can't be managers, which is dumb. Um, but that was a battle I could not win with my publisher. Instead, I won the battle of uh, format. So every chapter, is, it's meant to be read by teams. And every chapter has things that both managers and their uh, managees can do to make it more positive in their teams. That's a little bit about me.
0: I love it. I love it. There was a lot there. So I'm going to kind of chip away at some little things that stood out to me and then uh, then we'll kind of dive into it. I want to talk a little bit, uh, first of all, about, um, first of all, recognizing that you're epically failing. Um, yeah. I think part of uh, leadership is being aware of mm-hmm. what's going on in your your enterprise, mm-hmm. and I think sometimes we can get caught up in the mentality of, well, they're just not a fit for us, or they just don't get us. And I think at some point, uh, and I don't know how long it took for you, um, at some point you're just like, wow, everybody's leaving me, and maybe I'm the problem. That's a that's a big revelation right there. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that that's kind of key to helping uh, people listening and, and maybe somebody who uh, doesn't even know that they're the problem yet. What yeah. are some of the symptoms that that uh, that you kind of came across and, and really led you to kind of lift up your head and, and, and look around a little bit?
1: Well, I think for us, um, it was sort of just the sheer blunt force of it. We had hired six people within eight weeks of each other. We're a small company. We're 35 people. We had hired six people. Within eight weeks of each other, and they were all gone in three months. And wow. one of them we walked, but five of them walked themselves. And that had never—I mean, I worked through in two thousand was the Gen X—you know—couldn't if you had a if you had a pulse, you got a job situation, right? But never I'd had you know <laughs> lost six people. So what is that? That's twenty percent. Little, I can't do the math on that. Twenty like percent of my population left within you know, days of each other. And that had never happened before. And we, I looked at it and I said, okay, mm-hmm. did we hire wrong? And I didn't think we had hired wrong. We are really good hirers, really good um, identifiers of good people. I've always been good at that. I've always had a lemon every once in a while. I was like, oh, that was a bad hire. You're not um, but them. I know what everyone does, but I'd never had that many. And all of them, all of them under 30 left within three months. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, it was like, that, is, that sort of shook my core on, okay, that can't be them. I couldn't have made, and I didn't do all the hiring myself, obviously. We had other people involved. But we couldn't have made six bad hires. That was statistically impossible. Much mm-hmm. like 80 million, you know, uh, millennials being terrible. is statistically impossible. So we had, I mean, that was what I said. Okay, what is most likely? Did we hire badly? No. Because only one person we walked. Yeah. Um, of the six, and so you wanted
0: the you wanted the five to stay.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I probably wanted the six to stay too, but that was the first one, and then I didn't understand. You know, I, I didn't understand. I mean, I didn't walk that person. To, that was an entry level person, but um, I think we didn't understand. If we knew more of what we know now, I'm not sure we would want to. She didn't lie. She didn't steal. She didn't do anything yeah. that kind of thing. It was just, just wow. What is that? So, um, it was just really all of that happening at the same time and sort of looking at the situation expecting, you know, whenever you make an, you know, business is a series of questions, a series of risks that you take, you think something's going to happen, you act on it and you go and if you wait for perfection, you're out of business period. Mm-hmm. So you can't wait for perfection. You have to like make your best guess. So we had a, you know, a system a, a, a matrix that said, okay, we want to look at this kind of person, that kind of person, this kind of person, blah, 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 did all that stuff. And they all left. So we looked at the system and said, okay, is the system wrong? No. So the system was great. We identified great people. Um, and we're upset that five of them left. And I mean, in context, five people left within three months and in the previous um, five years, 10 people had left total <laughs> and three of them had come mm. back. <laughs> so it was a big <laughs> shock, right? So when something like that happens, you guys say, okay, what's wrong? And you have to go through the whole yeah. system and say, okay, hmm, did we hire wrong? Did we hire the wrong people? Did they have the wrong credentials? Did Were they wrong fit? Were they not? No, 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 no. Okay. They left here after they, the difference was that they got here and then they left here. Okay. So yeah. what was different for they- them?
0: Yeah, was there vocabulary different? Were they saying things or was there body oh, language?
1: Definitely leaving like, um,
0: early, kind of thing. Or was there something no. that you saw too, maybe that kind of drew you to say, okay, well, that made a little sense that they left? Or was it abrupt?
1: They, it wasn't, you know, their expectations of what they'd be doing versus what they were able to do as people who had never been in our agency before was a total disconnect. Total mm. disconnect. Um, and, um, and also sort of the, there's definitely a language issue around, particularly around deadlines. So for, I'm the last year of Boomer, so I'm 55. And uh, mm-hmm. so for my generation, you know, end of day means 5 30 PM. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, end of day for millennials and now Gen Z who have never had, you know, went through high school and co- college for sure, and maybe high school um, without their deadlines if it's Thursday, it's Thursday at 11 59, 59 p.m. That is still mm-hmm. Thursday. Uh, we had a huge disconnect on that, right? Still Thursday, still <laughs> works, and that is the prevalent deadline in college, and now in high mm. school. And I, my son, I have one son in high school and one son in college, and I can tell you that's that's true. <laughs> so when yeah. they get to the workplace, I need it today. You can be right and wrong at the same time. You know, you can let someone be yeah. right and wrong, and managers of my age and Gen X too, we did not give enough specificity into what we needed. So we, you know, they were late. We were pissed. They were like, I'm not late. I'm right on time. So there's definitely some <laughs> language, the difference and also expectation about, okay, when do I go get to meet the CEO of the client? Uh, that will be for a while. <laughs> right. So we did not do a good job. Um, uh, Cause we didn't know we had to, of setting expectations for what the work would be in terms of access to mm-hmm. the client, access to certain kinds of work, access to me, well access to me is no problem. We have an open office. I'm sitting right there, but um, you know, and yeah. I think that was the issue. Um, and, and there was definitely a notion of like, why am I doing it this way? I have another idea. Um, which is mm-hmm. very prevalent um, because many, we hire people today who have never worked in Outlook. We're an Outlook shop. It's legacy. Um, we, we have, we have a we have clients who require outlook from us and we're not going to change. So, um, you know, like they never used outlook and to us, this is what, and into those of us who grew up in outlook in the business where we're like, how do you mean you don't know how to underline, you know? <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and it was just different expectations from different educations and different upbringings. I think that, and that's what I found when I did my research as well.
0: So, uh, I want to back up for a second. Um, you originally were hiring ten uh, people with ten years experience,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and then you then you switched over to people right out of college. Was that when you had the the epically failing part? Yes. Um, okay. Absolutely. So had you continued your ten years of experience criteria, you probably would have delayed the inevitable for about another ten Actually, years. Actually,
1: right? I don't know that we could have we couldn't have done, the reason we changed the model was because we were running out of people who had 10 years of experience. Mm-hmm. So in California, um, particularly in San, in San Francisco Bay Area, in two, the year 2000, when NASDAQ imploded, um, you know, 80,000 people left the area. So 80,000 yeah. young, mostly wow. young people left the area. So, and almost no one got hired in our profession. In person, there were people who got hired, but most, you know, they're very hard to find, people who got hired in the years 2000 to 2004. So there's basically a five. So this was 2009 when I was looking at this. So we were going to have a five-year bubble, you know, donut hole of no one meeting our minimum requirement of 10 years of experience. And my opinion on running a business and being a leader is you always want to be bringing people in at the bottom of your eligibility always, yeah. So that you can bring new blood in, bring new fresh ideas in, and you know, build that pipeline of experience because no one's going to stay with you forever. That's about my second book. Um, so I always want to bring people in the bottom. So at the bottom, that we were going to come into a huge dry, you know, it was absolutely a donut hole. Nobody was going to have ten years of experience for about five years. So we couldn't have kept going. We would have to change something mm-hmm. in order to get past that five years. And this was 2009, so you know the economy was brutal. Um, and so for us, it was also sort of taking a look at the whole business model, which I guess is lesson number two, you know, every time your business or your region or your industry or your country goes through, you know, an economic seismic shift, it could be small just to your own company or large, like it was in 2009, you need to look at your business model because Mm. probably the business model that got you to that moment is not the business model that will successfully take you from that moment,
0: Um, which
1: is, which I had learned before, um, you know, I'd done before. So I, that was the first, when I was looking at the business after the, you know, everything we figured out was happening from 2008, 2009, I was like, Hmm, we needed, is the business model viable? And since the business model was predicated on hiring these people with 10 years experience, I did the research. I'm like, there is nobody, there's going to be nobody. (laughs) (laughs) So what are we going to do? And that really changed, you know, that fact made us change the model which made us uh, move to hiring younger people, which made me fail epically because I was not ready. I didn't understand a thing about this generation.
0: Well, uh, it sounds like you've learned a lot since then. And it it, (laughs) it does make a lot of of sense that, uh, you know, first you're talking about, you know, how do we manage, how do we better manage it? And and what are some of the failures in management uh, that we can essentially improve to be more attractive for Millennials to and 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 the work face, workforce in general to stick with us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then through that you're building loyalty and yep. you're um, even kind of uh, talking about actually having employees leave and then come back. Mm-hmm. When we first come, uh, when, when I first talked to you, I kind of told you a little bit of my initial mindset as a manager, and uh, so I'm <laughs> carrying some of this stuff uh, into the conversation with me, and yeah. I'll just go ahead and share it with you now. It's um, I for a long time. Had a long-held rule, uh, principle, whatever you want to call it, that if somebody chose to leave us, if somebody, if they worked for us and they left, that I would never hire them again because, in my opinion, they would always be looking to leave. They'd always be looking uh, outward. They were more them-focused than they were company-focused. Now mm-hmm. I've since kind of grown in that, but for a long time I kind of held that. And what I've found over time is that I've actually mm-hmm. had employees come back and I've actually had them come back mm-hmm. and be more grateful for the roles that they have uh, that they were in before and more grateful for the culture <laughs> of the organization. So in to kind mm-hmm. of talk a little bit more about some of this, how do we build employee loyalty? Like what are some strategic mm-hmm. things? I think uh, obviously throwing out assumptions, setting good expectations and allowing uh, and answering the right kinds of questions. But mm-hmm. I think there's definitely more to loyalty, um, for especially for this generation, um, because I I believe they actually are really loyal. Um, I think I think they they have this kind of uh, bond that they that they tied and they do take ownership, but it's a different kind of ownership. It's, it's loyalty yeah. to maybe the cause or the people. Mm-hmm. But can you talk a little bit about what you discovered, kind of in that building loyalty, and what 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 it, what essentially attracts people back?
1: Sure. I think at first you have to define loyalty, right? So loyalty is doing something you don't have to do for somebody that you care about, or somebody that uh, you know is just someone you are attached to, someone you have a relationship with, keeping them doing a solid, right? Just keep doing it when you don't have to. That is loyalty. Being paid and st- and showing up to work is not a loyal act. It's actually not a skill either. You need to show up, but um, you know you're getting paid. You're expected mm-hmm. to show up, right? Loyalty is not showing up. The most loyal act someone can do at work is leave when they're no longer um, excited and driven by the purpose of the company or their position. Because they're just going to drag you down. If they're sitting mm-hmm. in a job, just sort of half, half-assing half it, excuse mm-hmm. my language, um, you know, that's not a loyal act. That is a selfish act, right? <laughs> um, so first, I think we have to think about loyalty in a different, you know, what is a loyal act? Loyalty is doing something you don't need to do for the rest of your life. And my whole premise of uh, work, and because we will all work in longer than we ever thought we were gonna, right? <laughs> all of us are gonna be working into our 70s, our 80s, if you're younger into your 90s. And you, know, you can't keep somebody for 60 years of their life. I mean, that is just total hubris. Instead, I want someone to be loyal to my company um, for their whole lives, regardless of where they are regardless if they're retired, regardless if they're on break, if they're on maternity leave, paternity leave, if they have left the company to become a nurse, I don't care. I want them to be loyal to us forever. And so what does that look like, right? Well, why would you want to be? You would want to be loyal to somebody and to a company or an organization that helped you achieve what you wanted to achieve, right? Mm -hmm. That helped you uh, realize your own goals. And this is, you know, millennials, what millennials absolutely have learned from their parents is do not count on the man. And in this case, I'm the man, right. as the CEO of my company. (laughs) Don't count on the man. The man screws you. I mean, if nothing else, this generation um, has learned that from their parents being, you know, 9 million boomers lost their jobs in 2008, 2009, 2010. Nine million. Mm. Um, And Gen Xers have been now. So the oldest Gen Xer is 54 this year. The youngest one is 40, is that right? Yes. 40, 39, 40. So that generation, which is the smallest generation of all the generations right now um, in the workplace got screwed because one, 9 million boomers lose their jobs in 2008, 2009. Everybody else sticks, stays to the jobs that they have because they've just lost all their money in, um, in their retirement accounts, literally. Some people lost everything, right? Nope. Mm-hmm. I have many friends who lost 40 to 60%, which meant they had to work much longer. They were getting ready to retire, and some of them still haven't retired, and it is 10 years later.
0: Wow.
1: Which meant that also meant that um, opportunity for Gen Xers moving up sort of got suppressed at the same time as, the, as wages stagnated because wages haven't really gone anywhere um, except in basically in software development, I haven't gone anywhere Mm -hmm. in a decade. Right. Um, So if millennials have learned, do not count on the company, count on yourself, right. Have a self-identification of what you want to do. And they learned that it's not that Gen Xers and boomers don't have that. They just didn't um, think it was, they didn't talk about it like this generation does. Right. Yeah. So, um, So, how do you create a company where people come back to is you create a company that is that matches up people's desires and aspirations with the company's mission and uh, day-to-day operation and how do you do that by having conversations i mean seriously by knowing who works for you and by helping them achieve for you in the context of what they want to do and have them stay and learn things for themselves in the context of what you do for the business now, does that work if you want to be a nurse and you're in a PR firm? No, it doesn't. But it could work if uh, you want to be a nurse, but you have to go back to school and you have to work at the same time. And can we be flexible on the work schedule? This is a real story. Can we be flexible on the on the work schedule so that I can go to nursing school? Absolutely. Well, she did that. And then her father um, got um, developed al- Alzheimer's. So she was moving back to home, which is in a different state and she couldn't pursue her nursing career. So she, because she wanted to be very, you know, be available for her father. So the things that she was able to do at my company during the time that she was going to nursing school, she went to another PR firm in in Portland. Well, one, she got a great job. Two, she's referred four pieces of business to us that are now currently double forte clients that they could not accommodate anymore. Well, she didn't have to do that. Meaning we're not giving her a thousand, I send her a nice gift, but I don't give her a cut. That's not how we do our business. She doesn't have to do that at all. But she's motivated to do it because we helped her get where she wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So if we can, it's really messy. And I think that's the other thing about leadership. Everyone needs to know, right? You have your principles, but how those principles come to life in all the different people that you touch, it looks pretty messy on paper, but don't worry about the paper. Don't worry about it. (laughs) You know?
0: It sounds all right. So uh if I, if I'm going to recap that uh, it's really simple. You just you talk to your employees, you find out what they like what their dreams and aspirations are and you help them achieve that. That mm-hmm. sounds really that sounds really simple. It sounds counterintuitive to helping the organization
1: mm-hmm. and
0: yet it creates the strongest loyalty that you you've observed.
1: Absolutely. And why is that? Cuz you, you you when you hire them, you hire them for a job that exists. Right, and if you do a good job at that, you hire someone who has the skills, who has all the you know aspects of personality that you want, all the skills um, that you need, all the experience, whatever it is that's required for the job. But that person, you know, no one is all the no one is just those things, mm-hmm. right? No one. So once you get the person into the job and get them comfortable, then it's so Evan, what are you thinking? What do you like to do? What what do you do in your spare time? Are you looking around the company and seeing things that would be interesting to you? Mm-hmm. Um, um, Yes. Actually, did you know that I'm an artist? I had no idea you were an artist. Well, would you like to do some art for us? Because we have a graphics design department. <laughs> I would really like to do that. I'm thinking we could do this. And I'm like, okay, well, let me think about that. And let this happen to me too. Um Wow. Well, I need you to do the job you're doing. Are you still like this job? I really like this job, Lee, but I would love to be able to use my art. Yeah. Okay, let's figure that out. Well, this was my assistant. He works for us. He moved from Michigan to San Francisco so he could also pursue a um, acting career. And he took the my assistant job because it was very specific. You know, it wasn't. It was an hourly job, not a uh, didn't have to work overtime, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. and oh, one day I turn around, he's, he's drawing a card for his mom. I'm like, did you draw that? Oh, my gosh, he's so talented. Yeah. Well, he was going to, you know, he was like, he thought um, he was going to stay at the company for two years. He stayed at the company for five years. Wow. Um, and so we got three extra years out of him, and we got all this great artistic capacity that we didn't even know we had in the company And we got him to a place where he could actually do more of the acting, which is what he wants to do, in a job that has less – it's less demanding than the one that he had with us. So, you know, so what did I get out of that? Yes, he left. When you hire someone, you know they're going to leave you. You're Mm. the only one who has to be there. So (laughs) let's be clear, right? You don't hire someone with the anticipation. And if you do, you you know – Hello. Let's, let's start at the beginning. Then yeah. if you're hiring someone, you think they're going to stay with you for the rest of their careers. Let's have another think because it's yeah. not going to happen. And you can't, and you as a leader cannot promise that you cannot promise it. Do not promise it because it's out of your control. You, you, you know, our jobs as leaders is to set a course and then act, you know, set a course at a plan and help our people achieve that plan and then respond well to the situation that comes around us because, Plans are great, and they just tell you where you're supposed to be, not necessarily where you are.
0: Yeah. So um, the examples here's out of the guy, um, which I think is is really cool. Um, but I I think the other side of it too is, and kind of backing into some of the other conversation you were saying before, is that your employee, your, your most loyal employee, will tell you when it's time for them to leave.
1: Yep. And I think and that, one that's just did kind of like, actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's kind of counter, uh, counterintuitive to what you would expect. But I think the opposite of it, and like what you were saying is you, you now have an unengaged employee who's Mm -hmm. just kind of coasting and just kind of waiting out their next thing that can be actually detrimental to your, to your business. So with all that said, what's the relationship of uh, loyalty to uh, employee engagement? is it one-to-one
1: i think it's one-to-one and maybe even two-to-one the other way you know i actually have a person who's leaving um he gave me his notice a week and a half ago he's been with the company seven and a half years i've been talking to him he's been talking to me for 18 months not knowing if he wants to stay in this kind of job right Mm -hmm. and um, we just finished two huge projects he was leading and he came and said you know it's it's time for me to go lee this you know Mm -hmm. we've been talking for so long. And if I leave today, meaning in the next, he gave us seven weeks notice, which yeah. is another topic, which is great. Yeah. Um, but that now we can, you can plan. You don't you only, there's only one account we have to actually replace me on meaning him. Um, and this is good timing. Well, he doesn't have a job, he, I, you know, and it's disappointing to me. I'm like, Oh, hurts me. Cause I, you know, this person has been with the company for seven and a half years, yeah. but, Think about what he just did, right? I'm still paying him, but he's doing more for the company that, than the company can do for him right now. Yeah. He stays an extra seven weeks. He's he's managing all the client stuff for a smooth transition. He has recruited somebody, not for him, not to replace him, but to be on one of his teams already. And that person will start in two weeks. All of these things that he has done, he doesn't have to do any of that stuff. I didn't ask him to do any of it. Yeah. You know, that's a two to one relationship to me. Right. And I will help him and the company will help him however we can and whatever he wants to do next. I hope he comes back. Yeah. I started the company with one of my very favorite friends, favorite people in the world, Dan Stevens. He left. He left after four years. I bought him out because he wanted to go learn Spanish and become a restaurateur. And then he realized he didn't want to be in the kitchen. Um, (laughs) And then he came back and then he left again. You know, so he's, you know, He came back and he's happy. And when people come back to you, the message it says to the people who are first timers is so strong. It's like the world isn't that that much better out there. (laughs) And also the thing is, you know, when people come back to you, they are actually more valuable to you the second time around than they were the first time around because they've learned other skills. They have different points of view. They have different inputs. And we know about decision-making is that the more different inputs you have, the better decisions you make. This has statistically been proven over and over and over again by, you know, institutions with much greater credentials than myself. Um, so the more you can have outsiders return and insiders come back and go get some new information, the better, stronger organization you will be. And so the more you can um, not just allow it, but encourage it, encourage people to go when it's time for them to go. How can I help you? Instead of saying you're debt to me, saying, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. That changes the whole dynamic. Yeah. How can I help you? You know, you might be thinking, "God, man, could you wait a couple of weeks?" But <laughs> you know, but what if you just said, "How can I help you?" Um, it changes all of the weight of the conversation back to them. And yeah. people are, I, in my experience, people are much willing, more willing to help you if that's your expectation. You start talking about it from the beginning, and your or in your discussions with them, is not about a child like. I'm your manager, do this, do that, do this. It's more as an adult, like, hey, so what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I'm 55, I'm still thinking that out, right? <laughs> yeah. And how can we help you get there? And how, you know, in the context of this job, and all of our jobs are changing, right? The job you have today, and yeah. what title, whatever title it is today, in three years, is gonna be vastly different than it was today. So if we're all not changing all the time, we're all screwed, just saying yeah.
0: Well, I want to jump back to the 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 employees coming back and the loyalty part real quick, but I do mm-hmm. want to briefly kind of highlight uh something that uh, kind of struck me in your conversation with your guy that gave you 7 7 weeks or 7 mm-hmm. yeah, 7 weeks notice. Seven weeks, yeah. um, so in my mind, uh in my millennial gen xer mind, mm-hmm. um that's a very dangerous thing to do. Mm-hmm. Because you're essentially saying I'm I'm kind of done here. Mm-hmm. And you have to have that level of trust with your leadership to have yeah. that kind of conversation. And I, and I think Absolutely. that kind of what you saying before is like, don't count on the man to take care of us, but don't, also don't trust the man with any information because you got to look out for yourself first. And so somewhere in that process, you built a lot of trust with that person to where they were, again, loyal, right? Mm-hmm. And helping uh, along the, uh, and having the, the company's best interest in mind. But I think that trust was just as important because they were comfortable saying, Hey, I'm, I think I'm ready to go to my next thing. And I want, I want to leave you guys good. Whereas you would have been totally within your rights to just say, Hey, we'll tell you what, we're done with the account. Uh You're done. And then he wouldn't have had a job for however, Uh however long. So developing that trust with that employee, obviously we, we, we say that we trust everybody, but that's, I feel like that's a higher level of trust because now he's putting his livelihood on the line based on your relationship.
1: I agree. And I think you have to prove it, right? You have to prove it. And some, you know, not everybody, not everybody does what Joe just did. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's true. But um, you know, I've been in business now for 17 years. We have a lot of, you know, uh, so 35 people now um, and uh, 16 16 boomerangs. People who have returned once, mm-hmm. and four people who have returned twice. So we have the longevity to back up the conversation, right? You're welcome back. I mean, when I when people leave, not everybody's boomerang eligible, Evan, but when they are, most people are. I'm like, you are welcome back here. I say it in front of people so that everybody hears me say it. And when people come back, I said they all the good ones all come back in some way, right? Yeah. Um, and I do a lot of things after someone leaves us to keep them connected with us because it's you don't come back to someone you're not currently in relationship with. Right. You, you need to keep that relationship. And I think the trust goes down to a It goes through your whole culture, your whole culture. Um, it's not just about when you come and you go. Right. It's about the day to day. So how do you treat people when they screw up? How do you treat people when they want to do more? How do you treat people when they're not good enough, but they want to advance? How do you have those conversations that say, wow, you did such a great job? Let's talk about what great you did because you know our culture is built on you know I think millennials get a really bad rap for being a we generation in my experience they are a we generation. The worst thing you can do is say, "Man, you let the whole team down. We all had to pull extra weight because you blew it." Mm-hmm. That's the most deadly thing you could say to a millennial. <laughs> um, so you know, how, what do you do when those when things don't go well? Is how you is how you build trust. It's not just when things are going. Great, and, you know, everything's, you know, going to plan, it's when things aren't going to plan, when things don't go well and how do you treat them and how do you help them see and how you help them advance. That's how you build trust. You don't wait to the end to build trust. You build trust every single day.
0: Well, I think trust becomes hopefully a part of it. I I think it's an unspoken core value, but I think that's something that you define and you create through your culture.
1: Absolutely. uh,
0: I'm glad that you brought culture up because we do talk about that a lot here and just the importance Mm -hmm. of culture. I always thought of culture as something that you use to take care of your existing employees. That's uh, how you interact with them, how you interact with your customers, your purpose. Why are you here? What what mm-hmm. value do you bring to the table? Like what, what, what do we ascribe to? Uh, that kind of stuff. And then it, it kind of grew a little bit to like how I can have my culture ultimately attract people. People. I Absolutely. can have my, my culture attract customers. It can also mm-hmm. attract uh, high level talent. Um, when you have the kind of culture that somebody comes to you and says, I want to work for you because I see how you are in the marketplace. I see how you mm-hmm. treat your employees. I see how you treat your customers. I don't know that there's much higher of a compliment when you have a, a, a true rock star that is attracted, not because yeah. you've gone out and pursued that person, but because they've seen what you're doing. But mm-hmm. I haven't thought about culture in terms of the loyalty part of bringing employees back to your organization and and the boomerang principle that you're talking about. And so, uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, maybe the value that they see in your culture once they leave, or maybe like you said, they you know we've been out in the real world and it's not as great mm-hmm. as we thought it was. Do you think that's because of the of the culture that you've established, or, or is there other factors involved?
1: Um, I think it's all about culture. It's all about culture, and, and you know, high-performing cultures have high expectations of performance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're not just—they're um, not just happy places to be, right? <laughs> because you're a business. But it is absolutely possible to be a happy place to be and to be a high-performing business. That, and my assumption, and there's a lot of—I have a lot of data on this—is that high-performing workplaces are always positive the highest performing Mm -hmm. workplaces. There are definitely high performers that are not great workplaces. All that is, is waste. And they could be much higher performing if they didn't have so much waste in their culture. Um, Because that's what it all is. It's waste in their culture. And a good example is Uber. Uber, you know, high performing. Well, they've lost a lot of money, as you know. But, you know, number one in the world in their category, breaking boundaries left and right, left and right. The most toxic place you could possibly work Um, truly, and truly, but imagine what they could, what they could have been doing if they weren't wasting all that time being a crappy workplace. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean, they would have had, you know, inefficiency is inefficiency is process, but most inefficiency is people and people Mm -hmm. is culture. And the more you are a culture that doesn't honor individuals and doesn't honor, um, uh, setting expectations and having high performance, uh, the more waste you have in your organization and, and the less profit you will make. So it is not all u- altruistic. Say, like, oh, we're a happy place and there are butterflies everywhere. No, it's good business to be a great culture. Um, and you have to be v- vigilant about it, right? Because like you said mm-hmm. earlier, you know, if you have a low performer just sitting around doing nothing, it brings everybody down. It's a drag on the whole organization because if that's what you're going to allow, well, what, because that's your, your job as a leader is to, you know, you allow what is going on as the leader. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. someone else's thing. You allow it to occur. So um, you can't allow that stuff to happen. And when you, and of course, no one's perfect. Of course, there are bad days. Of course, people go through bad things. Right. Um, but how you deal with it um, is what your people pay attention to. And if you don't deal with it, if you let a low performer just stay and just clock in and clock out, uh, well, you can expect all of your top performers to leave because top performers don't stay for that crap. Top performers Mm -hmm. stay not for foosball tables and free lunch. Top top performers stay to be around other top performers and to do cool things that they want to do. So Mm -hmm. um, every industry has cool things going on. It may not be cool to me and you. Our, what we do for a living may not be cool to someone who's listening right now, right? But every yeah. industry has cool things going on. Every industry has top performers. We are all competing for those top 25% of people. Uh, if you allow mediocrity to happen, expect to be in mediocre op- operation because your good people will leave you.
0: Wow. Well, I love how you're talking about the, your top performers and your mediocre performers because that's that's something that like I struggle with as a leader is... I I want to treat everybody the same. I, I do treat them as people the same, but there are definitely, I, I feel like there's privileges that are essentially accrued for people that yeah. are working hard and, and we want to reward those types of things. But at the same time, it's like, well, I also need to treat people equally. I need to have, you know, the, the kind of same set of standards and everything else. Like one one thing that comes to mind would be like the ability to work from home. I feel like the ability to work from home is a privilege because it ha- someone has to prove that they're going to be proficient and be good managers of their time if they're not mm-hmm. in the office place, as opposed to somebody who you know, you have to really manage them a lot in the office. And now they're coming to you and saying, Hey, I see uh, other people working from home. I'd like to do yeah. the same thing. And then now I'm, now I'm putting the situation where it's like, I have to say no, because they haven't necessarily demonstrated to me that they can uh, function in that way. But now I'm like, well, I can't treat this person the same either because they haven't, you know, achieve that level of um, time management. And so right. you, I, I feel like you, you get a little, little caught in the weeds sometimes with that, but does that make sense where absolutely, you, you want to build loyalty, but you also want to treat people equally and, and, and well, equally
1: have, and equitably are two different things, right? So equally yeah. is everyone gets the same thing. Mm-hmm. So equitably is everyone gets things that make sense, <laughs> right? Depending on who they are. Um, for the business and in a uh, in a fair way, so equal may not mean fair, right? So right. Um, equitable should mean fair, and it is a two way street, right? So if you have a work for, we have a work from home pro- policy that requires people to build up to it um, and then demonstrate that they can they can make it work, and it can't impact yeah. their team, and it can't impact their clients. And the first time it does, they get their butt hauled back, and um, It happens once um, and then they either get in gear or they never go back. Right. Some people I work, I don't work so great from the road, which I'm on right now. Um, I work much better in an office or, you know, in a separate space. Um, So, and we've had to pull back in 17 years. I think we've pulled back four or five people who just could not get it together. Every time they were out, it was a hassle for everybody else. Well, it's not up to everybody else to make your privilege work. You have to make your privilege work. So if you have flex time, it can't it can't hurt anybody else. So get your stuff done early. I mean, that's how we work it at Double Forte. So for instance, we most of us are everyone has some flex thing going on, right? The kid, they got sick, right. they're gonna whatever. Trust you, yeah. yeah. Um, something's going on. And but it can't Hurt any deadline. So, one, we're hyper driven by deadlines and being crystal clear about them as soon as possible. And two, sharing with everybody what, when they can and cannot do something. So, for instance, um, I'm on the road this week. I have to be on a plane on Friday. So, the things that are usually would be due to me on a Friday, because I have to do something with them for another deadline on Friday, now I need on Thursday, which means I have to get my stuff done before they give it back to me today and tomorrow. So, things i was going to do on wednesday and now to need to do monday and tuesday so that i can work you know whatever it is so it's being hyper hyper good on task management time management in order for you not to have to have you know to, for you to have the flexibility that life demands and it's a, it's an adult skill i don't know that it's a work skill <laughs> right? And the more complicated your life gets, um, you know, child, parent, you're taking care of a parent, moving across the country, you got a dog, whatever. The more you know, you're sick yourself, and you have to manage your own health. The more, or you're trying to do a marathon, right? And you have to be super, you know, you're super organized about your own workout schedule. The more complicated your work, your life is, the more time management uh, helps you have a good one.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I want to uh, quickly jump over to some questions to ask or some things to consider when looking to hire somebody who's left and come back. Um, and then mm-hmm. we'll kind of wrap this up. But can you talk a little bit about that process? So have they approached you? Have you approached them? And uh, in, let's say that they've left for whatever reason, they, they want to go to nursing school or they want to go, uh, you know, they're, they're looking for a higher pay or whatever else. Mm-hmm for whatever reason that didn't work out and they've come back, what are some things that you should consider or some questions that you should ask uh, kind of in that re-interview process? Cause I don't, I don't think it's just a, okay, come on. Oh, I think no, that there's no, obviously no. There's some questions involved. <laughs> so what does that look like?
1: Yeah. I mean, when people want to come back it may not be the best time for you, for you to bring them back. Right. So it yeah. has to, it has to line up. It just doesn't, we don't have to leave jobs open for people hoping they show up. Right. So I think mm-hmm. one is a convert. you know, you keep having a conversation. I usually leave people alone for the six months, first six months are gone. And then I check in with them. <laughs> How's it going? Some people have called me the second day of their new job and said, "Okay, I made a mistake." And um, <laughs> I say to them, "You have to wait at least a year." You yeah. know, if if you were so bent on leaving, um, and you the first day it sucks. Well, you should have known better. And I say that I'm very honest. And I say in a year, if you still want to, if you still want to, um, let's talk in six months. How can I help you now? What can I get what how can I do help you now to get through whatever it is that sucks so bad? Let yeah. me talk about it. This has happened many, many times. And then um, and then I check in, you know, in six months. I said, call me in six months, and they all call me six months of the day. All of them have really? done that. Is that but that happened. Oh, pretty much. Um, and then we right. talk about what's going well, what have they learned, what what do they miss, what do they wish, you know, what if they came back, what would it look like? What do you want to do differently? You know, what do they want out of the company? Different because you don't leave something perfect, right? <laughs> you leave something, uh, and then what are they going to do so that um, you know? They and I ask for a, I ask for a commitment of at least three years when they return. Um, mm-hmm. So you're going to do that? Well, three years, babe. You know that's what's going to be, and all of them say yes, and all of them have made it. So um, most of them have done more than three years. So um, mm-hmm. and, I th- and it's also like, what's going to be different? It, you know. How have you grown? What can you bring us that's different? Because we have we have made do without you, so what <laughs> what is going to be different? What do you mean What do you bring back to us? What's you know? Why should we hire you uh, over somebody else equally as skilled? I'll always hire somebody back over somebody new if they're equal, right? Um, because yeah. it's so much more intangible that you get out of a rehire than you do out of a new hire. But it's doesn't it make sense. What are you planning for your life? Um, um, I just, oh, my gosh, these people are so ridiculously, I'm, I have to work all weekends. And we don't work very many weekends at Double Forte. We're very unusual in yeah. uh, agency life because of how we manage our time and how how strict we are about it. Um, so, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize I am going to work this many nights. And over, I'm like, really? Didn't you look at Glassdoor? I mean... <laughs> So, you know, we have a good conversation about what they missed, what they did wrong about their choice about leaving, not leaving is not a bad choice, where they went to is the bad choice, and what they hope to have come back, and then it's like, okay, let me think about it, all right, let me, all right, what about this, what, you know, how about this kind of role with that kind of, and we would want you to do these kinds of skills, and, you know, it's a conversation, Mm -hmm. Um, and then they come back, um, and I don't have anybody sign anything, because, you know, Does it really work? No. And I'd rather just have the relationship than a signature on you will stay three years kind of
0: thing. Statistically speaking, because this is just the technical part of me uh, thinking, statistically speaking, do they usually come back at the same pay? Do they come back at a higher pay? Do they come back at a lower position? Mm. Do you put them back in the exact same role? Like where do do they kind of fall when they come
1: back? I don't ever put someone in the exact same role. Because something has changed, right? They may have the same title but a different role. Because titles and roles can be very different. I try to keep as the fewest titles possible in the company, with the most diversity of roles as possible, <laughs> to match what has to get done. Because an AE, an account executive on one team may look very differently than an AE on another team, depending on the kind of work. But they never mm-hmm. come back in the same role. Um, usually, they they never come. They have never come back and work for the same person. Mm-hmm. Um. Um, and probably they all have made more money. I think, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that's true. I mean, I don't know that data. No one's ever complained. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No one's ever complained. And you know, everybody brings something good back with them. Like what, what'd you learn out there? What could we do differently? And I'm always asking that question. Every time someone leaves, when you find something we should be doing, you're going to be working with a different firm. Maybe, you know, you went in house and you, they're hired a different firm. If you find something like that you really like, call me. I'd love. I always want to know. Like, what could we be doing better? Um, and so they always bring something good back that we can yeah. in, incorporate and make us stronger. I, I totally believe that.
0: Now, if you if you are the employee who's left and you're thinking of coming back to an organization, what what are some things like? If you get that uh, if you get that opportunity, what? what would you hope that an employee would do that's kind of been brought back into the fold?
1: I think the first thing an employee should do, a, reach, a boomerang should do is, you know, be humble, right? Not <laughs> uh, be humble. I mean, we didn't have to bring you back. You didn't have to come back and we didn't have to bring you back. It's, it's a good relationship. I'm happy to be back. Um, and to tell people why you came back. I'm, you know, I really appreciate, I appreciated when I was here, the first time, and I really appreciate um, these things about the company now that I've been out in the world. Mm-hmm. I think, number one. Number two, I've learned a lot. And I hope I can bring some of the things I learned um, to the company as well. Happy to share with you all those things. Not just sort of come back and change everything first day, right? Yeah. Um, and then three is, you know, I know you have changed too. I know I'm not returning to the same place I left because I'm not haven't been here and we are all organizations um of people so you take one person out and things shift so i'm looking forward to learning how you have changed how the company has changed how the team has changed and how i can contribute so i just think it's not assuming that you're coming back to the same you don't probably don't want to be treated the same you don't you want a different role you want something to do um and also assume that people um have changed too, right? You can't leave them in um, an ice because you haven't, you know, we don't put you in ice when you come back and we expect that you won't put our teams in ice because you've been gone.
0: Yeah, that goes back to your kind of clear communication, setting expectations. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, that's really imperative in those maybe first 90 days of when that employee comes. Back.
1: Absolutely. It's yeah. imperative in the in recruiting process because it is a recruiting process. It doesn't you know, just, saying, Hey, come on back, Joe. No, that, that's not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, have a good conversation. You want to be really, you yeah. want to be thoughtful about it because it would be bad if it didn't work out. Yeah. You know? Well, I think,
0: I think part of it happens when you have a, a position that opens up or whatever else. And uh you're sitting there kind of brainstorming, all right, let's, you know, we're going to recruit and we want to, you know, you know, put uh-huh. the job posting out there and, and hear back from people. And inevitably the the last couple of times this happened with us has been one of my, one of my managers or leaders has said, Hey, what about so-and-so? Yeah. And I'm like, well, what about so-and-so they left? And he's like, well, I don't think that they're too happy with where they are and Uh they've grown and matured. I actually had one employee that worked for me for five years, left for five years and now is back with me. Uh And um, the, the kind of one, the, the key statement that he said is, uh, that kind of pushed me over the top was it's like, well, it's been five years. And so that, that employees had an opportunity to grow as an employee. And I was like, man, you know, I didn't, I didn't think I, I in my mind for whatever reason, I was thinking of them five How years ago, as being yeah. the exact same person. Right. And uh, he was absolutely right. They had, they had absolutely grown in those five years.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first thing we do, we have a um, an alumni group, a, a closed alumni um, network, which I highly recommend for any company of any size mm-hmm. unless you're one day old. Um, to create an alumni group you, I do it on because we're so small I put it on Facebook in a private group and um, we put the same kind of things you put in for our clients and for our employees you put into that Facebook group um, there's only one former employee who's not in that Facebook group because um, he's not invited uh, so uh,
0: we're talking about you Joe it's you
1: <laughs> Not you Joe. <laughs> If that person's listening, he knows who he is. <laughs> but, um, uh, and then we put all job postings in there first. Like we tell the people, uh-huh. house, and then we put them in there first. And we have, you know, put down our recruiting costs like in half because the people uh-huh. who used to work with us know what's best. They're out there in the world. They see, oh, my gosh, there's Sally. Sally, I want to introduce you to, you know, to Maggie. I think she would works great for this job, blah, blah, blah. So, Mm -hmm. or someone sees it and goes, Hey, wait, I'd like to raise my hand for that. Let's talk about, can I talk to you about it? I'm like, absolutely. So we tell our our former employees first when we're looking for new people. Um, And then I think the other piece of it is all of our managers, uh, they're responsible for keeping track of the people we want to have come back, which Uh, is almost everybody. Right. So we had um, an opening up and, a woman who left us last year after you know it was her first job out of college. She was with us for four years, um, and uh, another woman said, "You know, so and so is not that happy. Let me give her a can. I give her a call. Yeah, give her a call. She hasn't been gone yeah. that long. Um, and what is she getting happy about?" And she t- and um, this manager told me, "I'm like, well, that's not a surprise." But uh, so the manager called her, and um, the you know the woman, the former employee, made the right decision not to not to entertain it. She'd only been there for two and a half months and she hadn't given it a, you know, this is her second job out of college. It's always going to be different yeah. from the first job. And yeah. uh, although she did send back that she appreciated much more our culture than she ever did when she worked for us. But that's true for everybody. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So I think, you know, it's about, you want, if, if you have the idea, which is the idea that I have is that anybody you bother to recruit and hire into your company, you want to keep in related to your company for their whole careers. Hmm. No matter if they're, if they're employed by you or not, if you have that, like, how do you keep them in relationship? Well, one create an alumni network, keep in touch with them, send them birthday cards. You have all their birthdays, send them a birthday card. You're not getting any money, just send them a birthday card. If you're doing, um, you know, if you're in a retail company and you have uh, coupons to friends and family and put them in there, make them part of the family, give them 20% off, who knows? But whatever, those little things you can do, just keep them connected to you. Um, Mm. And the more you can keep them connected to you, one, they're thinking about you. So maybe they're at a partner company and they're like, you know, you know, and their business is looking for a partner and you go, hey, you know what you should do? Call Double Forte. They're great. Yeah. That's happened so often. I can't even I can't even tell you how much. Because you if you keep them in you keep top of mind with your former employees, they're gonna be thinking about you when opportunity comes up and they get to be a hero twice. A hero at the yeah. company they're at and a hero company they were at. You know, so it's good stuff.
0: Love that. We've we've actually benefited from that, usually from uh, customers that we've worked with changing mm-hmm. roles and going to other companies, and it's right. been probably one of the the best ways for us to to get some new business that we really don't have to do much to get, and it's been mm-hmm. it's been absolutely phenomenal.
1: Absolutely,
0: Lee, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of share some of this uh, uh, knowledge that you've learned through your epic failing and also <laughs> your vast amounts of research. When you narrow it all down, it's all people. As much as I want to like believe that. In the, in the business world, whether I'm you know selling widgets or, or doing whatever else, there's, there's always a person buying, there's always a person selling, and there's always a person involved in the process. And if you do a good job of caring about people, taking care of people, helping them grow, even with your customers too, helping them grow in their business, um, that's where a lot of that loyalty is going to come from. And that boomerang principle uh, is something that I think a lot of people maybe have indirectly experienced, but not necessarily been intentional with. And I think a lot of companies, if they put an emphasis on investing more in their employees from a culture standpoint, not just for keeping them, but also attracting them back whenever they leave. I think that understanding that that it's it's not necessarily a bad thing for employees to leave, it may feel like it because obviously that's when change is happening and we're having to restructure. We're gonna to have to, you know, we're gonna to have to hustle a little bit, but that's always an opportunity for growth, not just for you. For your employee, mm-hmm. Lee, I want to give you an opportunity to talk directly to the to the uh, to the listeners today, because a lot of the people that you are listening right now fall into that millennial generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they fall into that group that has kind of grown uh, up with you know recognizing that they can't trust the man, that they need to figure it out for themselves. And I think they're encouraged to know that there's organizations out there and there's people out there that are recognizing that it's not all bad for millennials. They're not all horrible people and they're not all unmotivated. Mm -hmm. There are things that they are uh, that they excel at. And if we can find ways and change our organizations to be better invested in them, that we can all benefit. So with that said, what would you say your message is to young business leaders?
1: I think my message to young business leaders is you are the future, thank God, number one. <laughs> and two, you know, the oppor- you know the role of leaders is not to um, just, you know, forge the path. The role of great leaders is to help people forge the path for themselves and therefore for you. And the more mm-hmm. you can focus on listening more and um, helping people get where they want to go, the more you will be actually leading your business into the future that is prosperous.
0: Fantastic. Lee, thank you again for being a part of this podcast and for sharing your message to millennials and to the generations managing them. Listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast.